quite like Gary Hooper. Gary Hooper is their manager, right? The funny-looking guy. He's all right. He's just... The former manager now is... Spanish. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Who's... Who's... Gary Hooper's a striker. I don't know if he still plays football. You spoke to Celtic, didn't he? He played for Celtic. He played for Norwich. Somewhere else. Steve Cooper. Oh, I was thinking of Steve Cooper. Gary, I was Gary, like Gary, Gary Hooper is playing for Barnard FC. <laughs> Football base. Disclaimer: The following is an opinion-based podcast. Hello and welcome to Football Beef. We're back for another Premier League month recap. I'm your host Laura, and I'm joined by Daniel the Red Devil Jones. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Quiggy the Bet on It Geordie Messiah Squires. Too soon, too soon, but hello. <laughs> and Tommy, the master and professor of football manager slash ultimate team, Pittman. Hello. Wow, so, so, he, so, so they get something nice and I get a gambling addiction reference, wow. You know, I mean, high school musical reference. Yeah, I was just making high school musical reference. That's all it no, was, you've you been were. on Disney Adventures. You were not comparing me to Zac Efron. I think you find I was, so anyway... Get your head in the game, Laura. Get hosting. All right, so let's get straight to the football chat. And let's kick start with probably the team that have dominated the headlines since we last did a podcast for all the wrong reasons. Sorry, not sorry, Daniel. Manchester United. <laughs> Tommy, I'm going to kick start with you as the Liverpool fan, as uh, the anti fan. <laughs> so, been a good month for you, no, Tommy? I mean, yeah, the Liverpool have done pretty well. I don't know what to say about Man United, to be honest with you. I mean, they've always been underperforming, but again, they've had a lot of injuries in places and had to fit some very square pegs in some very round holes, like a left-back. I don't know how much the off-field stuff matters to them. But yeah, surprising that they're still been struggling like into September, October as well. I think it seems fairly normal for at least a couple of teams to sort of have like a slow start and then pick up. But it's surprising that it seems to be kind of carrying on for so long and even their wins at the moment are a little bit unconvincing. I think it's probably the uh, best way to put it. Daniel, I'll come to you. Is the takeover stuff all you can think about? Has that distracted you from the performances and perhaps the results being a bit disappointing? No, I think obviously this is the thing, like Tommy just touched upon there, We've had two wins on the bounce, and I think some fans might think that the tide is changing, but believe me when I say that ship is still sinking. 1-0 down to Brentford, uh, Old Trafford, I think it was till the 93rd minute, I want to say, when Scott McTonamy turned into the Scotland national team version of Scott McTonamy. Obviously, that was followed by an absolute fight this weekend as of recording against Sheffield United. Listen, United are a circus right now with the clowns not willing to sell up and I genuinely believe if it wasn't for this, Ten Hag's job would be a lot more in jeopardy than it seems to be now. I think the takeover stuff has enabled Eric Ten Hag to not be in the limelight as much when he should be, because some of his decisions have been absolutely mind boggling, head scratching, just ridiculous, especially with the Sancho issue. Obviously, we've seen this week that it seems like he's taken a a bit of a backstep on it and said, well, if he apologises publicly, he's willing to forgive and forget and introduce him back into the team. And Sancho has quite rightly said, no, after what you've said about me, why should I bother? I don't know. I think the whole thing, like I say, is a bit of a circus at the moment. And United are looking as worse now, despite a couple of wins, than they were last time we spoke. Well, I'm going to ask Squiggy this, because obviously you just pointed out the wins were against Brentford and Sheffield United. Arguably, Brentford aren't firing on top form. They've had, you know, they've not had the strongest start. So you could say they're like one of the teams you'd enjoy. Oh, no, they're teams you should beat, of course. Yeah, Yeah. that's how I see. So I was going to say, I'm going to put this to Squiggy then. So is the month going to, for Man United coming up, going to look better than maybe it's going to actually be? Because aside from Manchester City, they play Fulham at Craven Cottage for a ridiculous amount if you want to go watch it. They host Luton and then they play Everton away. They're like games in November that you'd, apart obviously Man City aside, get through that, then it should be nine points, no? You would think so, but I mean, I know this is Premier League, but they've also got some European football in between that as well. And I think a lot they've won the last couple of Premier League games, their European form's probably been the most disappointing, I'd say. Maybe not like the fact that they're expected to win all of their games, but sort of the the manner of the performances and those performances have kind of carried over into the Premier League and I think they've just kind of I'm not going to say they've got lucky but I think they've just they've had a little bit more than the opposition they've been playing against but you never know like Fulham a 12.30 kickoff at, at the cottage you know they've all 
had the the proseccos and everything. All the fans. Um, be up I don't for know it. if they have. If they're paying one hundred and eighty quid or whatever yeah. for their seats. Fabergé eggs. <laughs> yeah, so, maybe. You know, so in in theory, the the three games that Man U should comfortably win, but in reality, the way Man U are playing at the minute, you wouldn't be surprised if Luton, you know, got got a point at Old Trafford. If Everton won at Goodison against Man U, you. It doesn't really surprise you anymore now if if Man U get beaten. That might be a, a sort of a, a harsh thing to say, but I don't no, think Man U are that. They're not that sort of feared team that they used to be. Like you don't look at the fixture and go, "Oh shit, it's Man United. What's the point?" Yeah, like like we play Man U next week in the Carabao Cup, and a lot of Newcastle fans are like, they're, they're up for it. They're going, "Well, we've beat Man City, we've beat Man U, and then who we got next? Liverpool." So they've already like kind of expected us to beat Man U. I don't expect that, by the way, because I'm a negative Newcastle fan. But it's kind of there doesn't seem to be that fear factor about Man U anymore. Kind of a little bit like when David Moyes was in charge, teams turned up to Old Trafford knowing they could get a result, and I feel that that's kind of how it is now as well. Well, I'm going to throw two players' names out there that have been heavily involved, Man United-wise, and maybe that this is going to sound harsh, but maybe this is a reflection of where Man United at. They Scott McTominay, as Daniel mentioned, bit of a goal-scoring hero. McSauce. <laughs> you can call him McBabe. But him and Harry Maguire obviously being involved again, is that maybe saying that a player that there were so... Two players that probably, I would say, in the last year have been like not good enough for Man United or slagged off. Or, you know, like I would say ones that fans would happily have gone, out you go, and now sort of delivering the goods. I mean, Maguire won man of the match against Sheffield United. Daniel, I mean, these no, are your players. No, you, you, but... you literally just hit the nail on the head. And I think it just it further proves the tactical naivety of Eric Ten Hag. And it's, do you know what? Up until this minute, I hadn't actually ever really considered anything like the parallels there that Squiggy just said about the David Moyes. It does feel like that. It feels like a David Moyes team that we've got right now. It felt like when David Moyes come in. That fear factor of Manchester United has gone. And if you're a United fan, just admit it to yourself. There's no shame in it. That fear factor has gone. There's no team in the Premier League now that looks at Manchester United and thinks, oh, that's a really tough fixture. Everyone is looking at them and thinking, yeah, we could probably beat them right now. Those two games that we won, they weren't convincing at all. We looked second best in both games. And the way that it's looking, Jim Ratcliffe has been in talks. It looks like that deal's back on. But from what I'm hearing, it's not going to be full ownership. It's going to be part ownership, which means the Glazers still remain there. Listen, I think that's, I, I genuinely think that's uh, curtains and smoke and mirrors and f- all that nonsense. I don't think that's actually going to change anything on the field at all. I think the problem right now is Ten Hag, and we're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show. Well, I'm going to now move to the other side of Manchester, where I don't think the manager's getting any criticism for their recent drop in form. But Daniel did point out that Tommy is Mystic Meg over there with his thoughts on Man City from last month. Daniel, do you want to recap what Tommy said and how the last month's gone for Man City? Fans of the show will know, uh, Tommy said in his last episode that it would look close until Christmas, which I don't know if we could have predicted this close. But uh, Tommy also said that one of the bigger teams would beat Man City and one of the lower teams would also beat Man City. Obviously, we've seen Man City lose to Arsenal. That would be certainly the bigger team. And then we also saw Wolves, who are in a pretty damn good run of form at the moment beat them as well I think it's kind of got me questioning now will we see City run away with it like we predicted they would just to kind of add on that as well I wonder if we jinxed them a little bit but as of the last recording Man City have only won two games uh two league games since then they beat Forest 2-0 and then they beat Brighton I think it was 2-1 yesterday both not very convincing and also knocked out of the League Cup to Newcastle. I'm starting to see cracks there. So did Tommy call it right? Tommy, you you predicted, you know, these results. Do you see any cracks or do you... Because, I mean, the rest of your prediction is that then don't worry, Man City will go full Man City and just steamroll eventually. I mean, apparently I did predict something correct which is very very unusual for me i don't know like i feel like writing off man city or thinking well somebody else is going to get them this year is when you end up like making a bit of uh, a fall out of yourself um you go oh look they they are struggling i think part of that is probably because Rodri was missing and you know they behind him you would have thought would play calvin phillips but pep clearly just 
despises him for whatever reason and just didn't play him and then obviously they don't have anybody the same level as Rodri so of course that's difficult to replace it has felt a little bit I think when they lost those games and like Daniel said the kind of comfortable yet unconvincing win against Forest when obviously Rodri got sent off and then right in game like it's felt a little bit like when Liverpool won the league in the like losing a player or like something just isn't quite clicking properly for them so I think the next month will be very interesting to see how they do like if they do kind of pick up again and just start building up speed building up momentum and then they do end up just kind of walking all over everybody but they've got you know pretty tough run going into December yeah so I think if they if they end up coming out of that you know unbeaten having won the majority of the games I think then they'll probably just start clicking into gear a bit more and you know end up winning the league but I don't know something now in the back of my head I'm starting to feel like it feels a bit like that 1920 season and I think it's just like the elevated level of competition at the top end of the Premier League that and maybe other teams have a bit more confidence that they'll be able to get something when they play Man City I'm slightly more undecided than I was last month now I like the idea that you being right has now made you like maybe I'm so right that I haven't been doubting Man City enough and you're just gonna increase yeah, the odds here I've myself out I, like, I was right before and if I manifest it enough then I'll be right again I mean that's fair I luck. just wanted to touch on a little bit of what Tommy mentioned about Rodri and that I think it kind of shows that for all the the top class players Man City have got that haven't really got a replacement for Rodri so you know like Grealish could get injured for a couple of games and they've got someone who can come in and replace him and even like it's shown with De Bruyne who's been out for a while that they haven't really struggled to sort of score goals without him but I keep forgetting he's missing which says a lot yeah that's what I mean like but when Rodri has been sort of missing for the past three games they've really struggled without him and I just think it shows that they can have all the players in the world that they want they can spend I'm not going to say spend loads of money because they probably haven't spent loads of money recently, but they can like bring in all these big top names, but they still haven't really got a replacement for Rodri if he sort of gets injured again or gets suspended and stuff like that. Just like how important in like a Guardiola team that role is. And then also I think it's the problem that a lot of big teams have, or a lot of teams in general have when you've got one clear starter in a position to be like, okay, we need a backup like Tottenham when they were trying to have a backup for Harry Kane. You know that you're not going to play unless yeah. he is injured or suspended and then they need to do something very specific that you know you're not going to have that player in that same level of quality and you know I think in other areas they've probably like I said they've got sort of like the quality maybe to replace people like in defense if Ruben Diaz or John Stones is injured or something like that they've got Guardiola who can play as centre-back or left-back they've got Ake and Akanji like they've got enough people there to help out and the drop-off in quality wouldn't be as noticeable, but I think when it's Rodri missing, it is. Which which also sort of looks at Calvin Phillips and sort of makes you think, why is he getting picked in the England squad when he looks so far off the pace playing for Man City? But that's that's another topic. That's another discussion. I mean, Calvin Phillips, we could debate in its own. Yeah. He's on the move, though. I've seen a, a, there's a few kind of high-profile clubs looking at him. I think Juventus well, there was one o- of them. There was apparently offers made in the summer that he they snubbed, turned down reports would believe he was one of the people that even Fulham looked at at the last day uh, apparently we've been in talks with his his agents and stuff like recently especially with Tenali possibly being banned and stuff as well so what a nice segue to Newcastle squeaky <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome it's as if I've done this before yeah I mean Tenali that's the big news at Newcastle now that's going to be dominating your headlines yeah it, it, do you know what it's I, I think I might I might have said this about the Tony thing that you know fair enough you've broke the rules and everything but it's a it's a bit rubbish when you know for example, yesterday, Tanali getting a round of applause from the fans because, you know, the fans will support him. They know he's done wrong. He knows he's done wrong. But the fans will support you. And there was a picture of him sort of applauding the Newcastle fans in the Gallagher end. And basically, there's three betting adverts behind him, which you can see. And it's kind of like this sums up the entire problem with that, that, you know, bet- betting is, is illegal on, on football as a footballer, which is fair enough. That's fine. That's the rules. You've made the rules, but you can't then start taking money from, from gambling companies and having like three different gambling companies plastered on your advertising boards or like the Skybet Championship and stuff like that. And I just think it's, it's, I've made the, I think I made the thing yesterday to someone. It's like having an obesity campaign fronted by McDonald's. You know, if someone did that, they'd get so much stick for it, but it just seems to be 
oh well the player you know the players at fault he's got a problem with his gambling he needs to stop he knows the rules and it's like yeah but when all you see is betting adverts it's a bit it's a bit shit it's a bit no. shit for tony it was a bit shit for tony and it's it's shit for tonali and all the other players involved in italy as well I understand why there's support and I think there should be anyone because obviously there's a thing that his livelihood's about to be taken away which is never an outcome but you just want the full it's just it always feels a bit of a shame where you get the outcome at this point with these sort of stories and not the details first and then you're like in hindsight kind of like with Tony like they they come out with all this stuff and then they were like oh but he might have a problem and it's been failed to be checked for all this so you're like oh okay I just I I think as well like not saying that Tony's is is worse because any band from football as a footballer is bad but from what I heard about Tony was like I think Thomas Frank wasn't actually allowed to talk to Tony I think that was one of the stipulations of his ban that like it was all football involvement so he wasn't allowed to even like speak to the team and I think yeah he didn't get to celebrate the last day of the season for the season like he had and to I stay think, in the tunnel and watch. And I think for Tonali, as a new as a player coming from Italy to to England, that's probably going to be quite hard for him as well. Sort of a new a new life sort of thing, and you've kind of got that taken away. But again, you know, he brought it on himself by doing all that stuff. So it's kind of it swings and roundabouts in a way. But I feel sorry for him. But again, he, he broke the rules. And but then again, I think something else needs looking at with gambling companies and sponsoring football Definitely. leagues and everything. And I know there's talk about oh, all ba- all gambling companies need to be off the front of football. Shows. But is that from next season? Isn't it? Isn't that that's yeah? Literally... But but for like example, Newcastle aren't sponsored by Fun Eight Eight anymore on the cross the front of their shirt. But there's still three gambling adverts in I... the stands. Well, so... I think it was. I want to say furthermore, among the teams that did it, wasn't it? A lot of teams signed a one-year deal this season, knowing it was the last season. Yeah. To get like one last payoff sort of vibe, which is not exactly yeah. the message you want. But it's to it's, send. it's not it's not going to make a difference because they're not going to suddenly cut the funding from Skybet to the leagues below. You're not going to suddenly not see the Paddy Power advert on Sky Sports in between the commentator saying, and it's live, and then going to an advert break for gambling. It's not going to change anything. Just as a football fan in general, I find myself really, really frustrated with the whole thing. It's a weird stance from football. As you've said, everywhere you look in football, it's bet, 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 bet. How old is Tanani? What is he, 23? 23, yeah. 23 years old. He's still a kid. Okay, that kind of you give that kid kind of money who knows that he can't go spend it on drugs, drink, girls, whatever he wants to do. He's still living a very clean lifestyle and they're chastising him for things that he's done wrong. I agree. Betting against your own team or betting in football as a footballer is wrong. That's understandable. And he did break the rules. But right now they're making him out to be kind of like part of the Manson family. It's utter bullshit. Give him a slap on the wrist. Let him play football. He's 23 years old. What has he done wrong that's going to hurt anyone? What's he done wrong that's like that's going to actually affect anything? Right now, what you're doing is cutting his legs off to stop him playing football. Bear in mind, Newcastle, they didn't... We've, we saw in the documentary when it came to the Anthony Gordon signing. Yes, we know Newcastle got a lot of money, but they can't just go splashing it around because of financial fair play rules and stuff like that so they obviously looked at Tonali realized that they needed to strengthen that midfield position signed one of the best midfielders one of the best up-and-coming prospects in European football in Tonali now they've got Champions League football this is the stage where he needs to be let loose to do what he can do and help Newcastle win Everywhere you look in football is betting and they talk about this lengthy ban and no doubt he'll be taken off uh, the new FIFA EAFC and all that kind of stuff because they've done that with Tony like they've done with Greenwood and I'm kind of going like let's kind of draw some comparisons shall we did he hurt anyone no I, I, I genuinely the whole thing really pisses me off and as a as a Newcastle fan I would be absolutely livid that this is a stance that's being taken considering how much betting there is in football everywhere you look as a fan bet 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 it's it's absolute bullshit so i apologize for my for my rant but for newcastle i'm i feel very sorry for them i feel very bad for them and i hope that he doesn't get the ban that they're talking about and it's just a slap on the wrist and hopefully he's learned his lesson not to do it again but as squiggy said he hasn't done it while he's at newcastle and he other thing as well i wonder if milan knew about this before they sold him because he was sold very cheap 55 million forget the add-ons because they're not real money it's not happened yet so it doesn't matter i do wonder if milan knew about this before they agreed to let him go because it was all very hush hush very quiet Tonali wasn't happy about the deal uh, as was widely publicized so I think there's something needs looking into there as well. But and if they did, I genuinely feel that Newcastle should 
put a complaint in as well because if Milan knew this this ban could potentially come then there's a sense of obligation to tell the future club what could potentially happen and if Newcastle knew that they wouldn't have signed them. Tommy any thoughts on Newcastle that don't involve betting that you want to say before just to tie anything into Newcastle their footballing ways before we move on to Aston Villa. So I still had plenty to talk about with Newcastle football. I mean, they, they scored a lot of goals against Sheffield United, didn't they? Was that what you were going to talk about, Squee? <laughs> the turnaround, the goals. Just, no, it was, well, yes, yes, and no. Like the, the turnaround, and I think I said this to you that last season we kind of we struggled a little bit at the start of the season. Obviously, we won a few games. We you know the three-three draw with City last season. And then we kind of, I think we drew three, three nil nils in a row or something like that. I think it was. And then we went to to Craven Cottage and did we put four or five past Fulham? That was we when we weren't very good. So yeah, but it... no, but I'm but I'm saying, and then that kind of kickstarted an unbeaten run for us. You're welcome. And I think like the Sheffield United game is that the kickstart again because you know we, we beat Sheffield United eight nil, beat City in the cup, and then two nil against Burnley, beat PSG four one, which was amazing. Scored two away at West Ham and then put four past Palace. Yeah, maybe maybe it's like I don't know. Maybe it's just that catalyst to start the season again for Newcastle in a way. But what I thought was interesting was on match of the day yesterday they were talking about Newcastle stats and they're like the number one for goals, number one for chances created, chances converted, expected goals, and all of that stuff. And a lot of Newcastle fans are going, remember three years ago when we were twentieth of all them with Steve Bruce in charge. And it's just kind of amazing to see the turnaround over sort of two or three years. And yes, money helps, but a lot of the players are still the same players. Obviously, there's I mean, a few in there. Get the tune out of Murphy. I mean, he scores wonder goals yeah. now. I'm using yeah. the term wonder goal just to. But but Fabian Fabian Shaw, three million. He was a Rafa signing, and he's such a good defender, so good on the ball. Looks a completely different player under Eddie Howe compared to what he was. He didn't even play under Steve Bruce. Actually, he wouldn't get a game. Yeah, I thought he was going to leave at one point, which says a lot. Yeah. So let's move on to another team that have improved really. And Daniel pointed out that they're most improved since we last did a pod in terms of position and results. Aston Villa is, I mean, Squiggy, you're going to feel smug about this. Champions League prediction Aston Villa that you gave said they finished fourth. And as you pointed out before the start, two points off the top. So still can call them title yeah, contenders if you want. But it's, re- but it's really annoying me because Newcastle are playing well and I wasn't expecting Newcastle to do as well. So now they're ruining my dream of a Newcastle Champions League qualification. But yeah, the, the, obviously they hammered Brighton 6-1 earlier on in the uh, in the month or was it last month? I can't remember when it was, but they put six It was in Brighton. the last, yeah. But yeah, I'd, they're a weird team, Villa. I, I don't like. I know I said I was expecting them to finish in the top, the top four. But when I've watched them, I've not really been that impressed. I don't think they've played sort of really great front foot attacking football. I just think they've they've put their chances away the that they've created. If that makes sense. Uh, Watkins has obviously been on a bit of a, a goal scoring run. It's same with Douglas Louise. I think it's six six home games in a row he scored in. So you know, it's it's kind of they're up there, and you know, I'm glad my prediction's correct, but. How long is, is Watkins' hot streak going to last? How many more games is Douglas Louise going to score at home in a row? And I also remembering that we put we put five past them first game of the season as well. They just, just hadn't started yet. One. They were just wanted to give you a head start. Yeah. It was yeah, it was respect just, for your just, season. It's just quite funny because we put five past them. Then Brighton put three past us and then they put six past Brighton. Healthy competition. Tommy, any thoughts on Aston Villa? Are you more convinced by them in their last few? Or is it just one of those teams that seem to be quietly doing the business, getting the points on the table, and you're like, let me see how they face when they go against a bigger team sort of vibe? I mean, we'll screw you kind of hinted at it there that you know they got battered by Newcastle they were kind of relatively easily beaten by Liverpool but it's would we say that Chelsea and West Ham were kind of based on formally sort of on paper the other kind of tough games that they have had uh, I'm probably missing somebody obviously Chelsea was affected by that red card it could have gone very differently if Chelsea at that point could you know actually score a goal. I don't know. I feel like they're based on this season so far. They're probably pumped to be. Oh, I guess Brighton as well. I forgot about Brighton, which felt a little bit like a fluky result. Like putting six past them in the way they did. I don't know. Okay, I didn't watch all of it, so I can't like fully comment. It feels like they'll beat a lot of the teams lower down quite comfortably, and then when they play the better teams, a lot of the time they'll struggle a little bit. Um, I felt like Villa were very much on like a hot streak last season when Emery came in and that it wouldn't last but then at a certain point when does that stop being oh okay you're just in like a good run of form and getting like the rub the green here and there to actually yeah this is sustainable which I think as the season goes on like 
particularly with more European football and then the fixtures in the league coming like quite thick and fast over the kind of winter Christmas period. I think they'll probably start to struggle then just in terms of like the squad depth that they've got or like if something happens to Ollie Watkins, something like that, that could knock them off. But uh, I, I mean, I've been a little bit surprised by how they've been doing. I do still kind of expect them to drop away at a certain point, but man, they've done they've done very well. Daniel, have you been impressed by Villa? Do you think this is something they can maintain? I mean, obviously, I don't want to say maintain as tart contenders because that feels like a very bold prediction. No, I, like I, I I have been very impressed with Villa. To be fair, I think um, you say about maintain that they're ne- you can only play to the next game, and they've got Luton Town in the next game, which I do feel that Villa will probably go on and win again. I think um, they've also got Fulham coming up, and then I think it's only Tottenham before the next international break when you'd be like, oh, tricky. That's but- it. I mean, you look at Villa. I think as far as the league position, they're where we expect them to be. They're in the Europa League places. I do see them holding ground there quite well. The fact they've scored 15 goals in the last five games and only conceded four, I believe, maybe five. They are, they're playing very, very good football at the moment. But this is the kind of football we expect from Unai Emery. It's not just the... The Ollie Watkins, though, they're definitely looking at them. They're not a one-man team. They've obviously uh, Musa, Di- uh, Musa Diabe they've signed, and uh, Leon Bailey is coming into form. I, th- I I feel that they are one of the most cohesive teams in the league right now. So certainly when Manchester United played them, I th- was it Man United that played them? I forget. I watched one of the games and I just, I looked Man at Man United haven't played them in the league yet. That's it so. wasn't, no, I am sorry. No, I, I was I was watching one of the Villa games and I just looked at it and thought, they've really got their stuff together. Like they all seem to be playing well together and that's kind of the mark of a good side. I don't see them challenging for Champions League, but I think they're going to hold ground very, very well. If they finish fifth with this run of form that they're in I would say it was very well deserved I think you've all mentioned this but I'm just going to touch on this because one of the key performers as well because you you listed off Douglas Lewis Ollie Watkins I think John McGinn seems back to where he was you know at the time he was was linked to Man United for like a 50 minute like because he was like seen as being like thing and then he had a bit of a dip and it was like oh okay but he seems back to his best it, we give him most of the credit for Villa's transformation to Emery because it's the players that were already there I know he's added some new signings and they've done well but it's the players that are already there that still become key. And oh, absolutely. Like yeah, and like Cash as well. So, Squiggy, do you want to say this? Because you said yeah then. So do you put it mostly to Emery? Is it basically manager gold? A bit like how think... Newcastle fans feel ha- for you, how really? Yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's two very similar situations. Obviously, Newcastle are probably in a, in a worse position when Howe took over. But I think it's kind of the same. You can see the improvement in, in the players that are already there. And like, like Daniel said, he's or like you said, they've added a few good players in, but you know the the spine of that team is still the same team that was there a year ago playing under Gerard. And obviously Watkins, Watkins, oh, he's he's on a hot streak, but he's still he's getting in the positions. Well, he, he looks, looks improved. I don't yeah, think he, he, he looks, a streak at this point because even when he doesn't score, he assists. He's, yeah, he, lo- he looks he looks confident, and he probably wasn't as confident under Gerard towards sort of the end of Gerard's reign. But yeah, no, I. I think it's definitely down to him. I mean, there were good players anyway. I think I don't think you can deny they were probably a good team that were underperforming previously. I think unlocking their potential was basically what happened. Because you, yeah. you say Watkins lost his confidence to Gerard, but I think it was Watkins that pointed out in an interview that he felt that Emery's like, no, you go be a number nine. You do this, this and this. When the ball goes here, you make your runs. Whereas Gerard was basically asking him, drop back, do this, do that. Yeah. go End up on the wing and that sort of... Make affected him not really that he wasn't doing what he was but yeah there's stuff like that and now he might be you know an option for England and you know going to a tournament and if he doesn't we can all moan about how Southgate shit anyway he'll, he'll pick Callum Wilson instead of him it's all right oh is it anyway <laughs> we're going to talk about a team two teams still haven't got a win and I feel we have to touch on them because where does the win come from? How long is it going to be? Is it going to be bad? We can start with Sheffield United. Tommy, we all predicted that it would be hard for them did you see it being this hard probably not quite this hard i think to have nine games and not have a single win and to have lost eight of your games is pretty uh that's pretty pretty good going in one way at some point maybe this is pretty sure i feel like we have to talk about them maybe beating derby's points record for like the lowest number of points at what point do we cut off if they haven't got a win by december basically the to the next international break if they don't just look at their fixtures they've got Sheffield, uh, they've got Wolves in a couple of weeks at home. 
and then they've got Bournemouth at home at the end of November, and then Burnley the week after that. If they haven't won any of those games, and if they're on like, let's say two or three points by that point, I think then we've got to start worrying that somebody's gonna that they're gonna maybe get like ten points across the whole season, because at that point then it's like well. You've played all the teams like around you pretty much. You've got not maybe, much to like, show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then maybe you maybe pick up a win against a couple of them later on in the season, but you're running it very close to, to being like the worst teams in the Premier League ever. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that they've been this bad. Like again, like I say, getting one point out of your first nine games is impressive i mean they've not had like particularly easy games i guess you'd say for coming up um although palace at home on the first of the season is the kind of game that a promoted team normally wins so it's been maybe surprising how badly they've done but not that they've done badly i mean daniel you're man united with the last team to play Sheffield united as of recording and obviously they i wouldn't want to say they eked out a 2-1 win but because no. it makes it sound like it was in jeopardy, but it was more the idea. I feel like Man United were in control, but Sheffield United did what they can. But maybe it was the fact we're looking at it showed that Sheffield United just don't have the quality. Like, no matter what they did, like, they never looked at any point that I thought, even when they had the penalty, it's not like they you would be like, I'm really worried about this. Yeah, it's no. Because I... of them rather than because of you messing it up. No, and I think you're right. It's I look Sheffield United weren't ever really out of that game against us, and I don't know if that speaks to the quality of Sheffield United as a whole, or if it speaks to the quality of Man United. You know, it's it's one of those. It's a it's a real shame because I quite the the manager there, Paul Heckerbottom. I quite like him. He seems like a good manager, but I just don't think they're fit for the Premier League. The they spent some money over the summer as well, and I just. The transfers that they they brought in was very central. Is you know a lot of defensive midfielders. I think they brought a centre back as well. They spent a lot of money. Uh, Getting for Gustavo a, Hammer was probably the biggest and most from, notable from Coventry. From Coventry, yeah, he and just, good. He does, he but it it's Sheffield United. Kind of, it's at this point what you're expecting. Are they going to survive? Probably not. I don't know. I think they're kind of where we expected them to be. It's a bit of shit because I don't think they're playing particularly bad football. It's just the results aren't going their way. And I just, I don't know what the easy fix is for them. I don't think there is one, to be fair. Quiggy, so. do you see an easy fix? Is it, just the, is it just a quality thing at this point? It's like maybe hopefully try and be still capable of surviving for January and then spend money if they want to stay up. Get yeah, I, I don't, they've never, apart from against us, they've never really been out of a game. If you look at kind of, the results, you know, it's it's been two one or it's been like three one where they've conceded the third because they've been pushing for that for that equalizer towards the end. So I don't think they've really been been out of any games. I just think it's the I just think it's the quality, to be honest. And you know, you look at you look at the top scorers, it's not really difficult because they haven't scored many goals. But if you look at like McBurney, for example, he scored one goal and that was a penalty. And that was how many games that seven games he's played, I think, because he obviously got sent off in one. And it's just it's just little things like that where it's it's just not good enough. And I think that's going to be the the problem. They can they can stay in games because they can they can be defensively solid, like a lot of teams that come up. They can play with the low block or whatever you want to call it. But if they're not going to create chances at the other end and and put them away, it doesn't matter because you will concede a goal eventually. And I think that's kind of their problem. And I'm I'm not really sure what the quick fix is apart from probably maybe accept relegation. And be like, oh well, we've we've had a season in the Premier League. Let's get back down to the Championship. That's the thing about them, and I think the thing about them and probably Burnley compared to Luton is that you can have like the way that Sheffield United play, but you're really depending on very fine margins and getting like a bit of the rubber green in quite a few games. Like I say, you can stay in it, but at some point the quality probably tells, or you make a mistake somewhere, and then you're one 0 down, and then okay, it was close. Oh, it was just one 0 or two one, but eventually it does. And Burnley just don't have the quality to play the way they want to play in the Premier League. Whereas Luton, because of the style that they play, they're going to be a threat. And I feel like they can be aggressive enough to make it work for them while also trying to be defensive. And Sheffield United just, I don't know, just feels like they just can't. All right, we'll move on to the other team with zero wins. Obviously, I feel if you said name the two teams that have zero wins at this point in the season, most people would have gone, but two of the new boys, not, you know, someone who did 
okay to survive. I would, I would have said all three of the new boys, to be honest. That, I mean, some people, yeah, sure. But obviously, Bournemouth are the other team on zero wins. Daniel said he would be shocked if they managed to rack up 10 wins this season. So, Dan, you feeling pretty smug about this? That they've still, what, nine games in, zero wins? No, I'm not feeling smug. It's just, it's one of those. It's like kicking a dog when it's down already. Just, I just don't. Bournemouth, they've not signed well. I say anyone that signs Justin Clivert just deserves relegation, to be fair. Like, what are they doing? They spent big money. We spoke about this in the um, pre-season review. Yeah, in the preview. We spoke about it. The the money they spent was weird. Didn't they sign someone for like 20-odd million then loan them straight out? If you're Bournemouth, you're not that kind of club to be flexing that kind of money just to send players straight out again. Again, looking at the squad, whenever they play, I don't think they play attractive football. They're not fun to watch. I just, yeah. And like I said, I don't see them getting enough wins this season. And they're proving me right, I guess. I'm going to say I'm still shocked by Bournemouth because I genuinely looked at their transfer window and it might be because Fulham were the link into the same players, but it did seem like they were getting everyone they want. They signed players that more than anyone. I mean, they got Max Ahrens went there. Tyler Adams, who obviously Chelsea moved from, that looked like a decent signing. Alex Scott, that's who I said before. They got Alex Scott and he was highly sought after. That was a bit surprising. I know he's only just played his first game because they signed him while he was injured, which, you know, maybe he will be the, you know, a game changer in the coming weeks and we'll see that. But they did seem to get everyone they wanted. They seemed to act quickly. Like, they made a lot of promising signings. So, what's gone wrong, Tommy? Any thoughts? I feel like probably part of it is adapting to a manager who probably wants very different things than what Gary O'Neill wanted. I think Gary O'Neill, when he was at Bournemouth, was very happy for them to you know sit back, be solid, try and get forward quickly on the counter and snatch points, snatch wins, things like that. Um, where I think Iriola wants to be more aggressive in terms of like the press and things like that. Well, that was very much his reputation at Viacano. I think it's partly that. I think as well, I'm kind of in the same camp as you. I'm a bit surprised about how bad they've done. Like they've had a very difficult, they had a very difficult start to the season. But then you go to Everton and you lose 3-0 and you lose 2-1 at home to Wolves. It's then difficult <laughs> to like find a way forward. Like they're going to have to beat the teams around them when they play them. Um, like So when they play Burnley, Sheffield United, Luton, Forest, people like that, they're going to have to win them as soon as possible, otherwise they're going to start getting cut adrift. I think it probably feels like, and Daniel kind of alludes to it as well with the signings, like, it feels like they were almost trying to be quite clever with the signings, which I think a lot of teams try and do. Uh, or if you look at what Southampton did last season, for example, where they're like, you know what, let's be really fucking smart here, let's go and spend... 15 million on these kids from Man City's academy who have never played and they'll do really well and then we'll sell them for a profit. It feels like they've kind of gone down that route. They're like, ah, this player, he could be really good. Let's sign him. Ah, him, he could be really good. Let's sign him. Oh, he's undervalued. Whether that's like a symptom of the the ownership that they've got now, I don't know. But it feels like maybe they've gone too much in that kind of direction of these are young, undervalued players. Let's buy them which can work out great for you. But when think, you're yeah, kind of towards if, the lower end of the league, I think it's a lot more difficult than Chelsea doing it, for example, where like the ceiling of your existing players is higher to carry those players through, whereas it's not there at Bournemouth. If they struggle, you're in for a season of struggle. Again, I'm going to let you be the final point on Bournemouth. You didn't really see much that could change at Sheffield United. Obviously, just you know, quality need up. Is it the same when you look at Bournemouth? Or are you a little bit more like, as the ingredients there, they can make this? Work? I don't know. I, I, I see Bournemouth a bit like what I said about Burnley at the start of the season, that they'll try and play a certain way and they won't be able to play that way in the Premier League. And a bit like what Tommy said, that you can sort of see they, they do try and play a bit more front foot football, a bit more attacking, a bit more of a high press compared to what they used to play. And like Tommy said, the players probably aren't used to that or haven't got the ability to play that way in the Premier League against other players. Because if you look at the results, you know, against Arsenal, obviously they got beat 4-0, 3-1 against Brighton. and But then against Chelsea, they looked okay and they were probably unlucky to not to not get a result in there. So I, I think there's, there's times where they look like they can play that way, but then other times they look like they don't know what they're doing. And I think that's probably down to 
the change in manager, the change in system, and having a lot of existing players who probably can't play that way. And I don't, I don't want to say it, but probably the only way Bournemouth will get out of it is by bringing in a manager who is happy to sit back and play counter-attacking football. And I think that's probably the only way they'll stay up. We're going to move on just quickly here and touch on them because you've mentioned a bit about Burnley already, but Burnley and Luton, obviously, not much better with one win. But is that enough to give you more hope towards both? Or is it different stories? Because Tommy alluded to that he seems to have more faith in Luton. So I'll go to him first. Yeah, I think it's... Like, they've got a style of play that works for them and can work in the league. Like, whether, again, whether it'll be enough to keep them up, I don't know. But I just think whenever I've seen Burnley, either, like, highlights, like, four matches, like, they're very, they're like, fine, okay, we'll keep the ball. But then they just can't do anything with it. Like, they just look very toothless, I think. Like, they're trying to, I think we said this before, they're trying to play the same way that they did in the championship. But the step up in quality is so much that it's just not working for them. Burnley, I'd be, like, worried for Luton. Again, still, I think, because I think the lack of quality by comparison could tell over the course of the season. But I think if a team like Bournemouth continue to struggle in the way that they are, and if Luton can, again, you know, pick up wins against teams like Bournemouth and, you know, pick up the odd point here and there, like they did at the weekend, then probably out of the three teams that came up, I do think they've probably got the best chance of staying up. Daniel, do you, are you more positive towards Luton than you were? Is, is there more warmth there? Or even with Burnley, is there more warmth there? Because, you know, you had them. Oh, no, games, there's, like, there's not really much more warmth towards Burnley. Burnley, but then I do think there's a little bit more positivity towards Luton. I think obviously last time we spoke, they had played three matches and hadn't got any points on the board. We're now on nine matches. They've managed to get five points on the board, scored another, I want to say, four or five goals. They've conceded a, a few more than that, though. They've conceded a further eight. I feel that with how bad Bournemouth have been and with how bad Burnley have been as well, and certainly Sheffield United... Luton Town might just scrape it. And if they do, it'll be an absolute Cinderella story. But there's, I think if you're a Luton Town fan, there's definite positive signs there. They've not really looked out of games too badly. And they've, you know, they've managed to clinch a win and a couple of draws, which is, is very impressive. And I think it's something that certainly a team like Sheffield United would be clambering for right now. So not all bad from Luton at the moment. All right, this is going to sound really negative, but we are going to end by talking about the sack race. Which managers we think? Because we're not. I'm not saying we'll get into second season, <laughs> but I'd say it does feel like we. Ha- I mean, the last manager to go was uh, Lopetelli, who left Wolves on the eighth of the eighth. Did not know he went on such a lovely day to conveniently remember. But we are with teams not getting wins and stuff. Sack race. Has anyone got any vibes that someone's going to go soon, or are we going to make it to Christmas with no more casualties? I think Christmas is a good starting point for us. The couple of names that I've got on top of my head, probably the highest one at the moment would be Eric Ten Hag. I don't know how long this can last. Obviously, if it was just the the squad was the issue, then that's one thing. But I think a lot of people are starting to point fingers at the manager as well. The Probably the other most notable manager higher up the table would be Pochettino. And that would just be purely based on the fact that Todd Bowley doesn't have a clue what he's doing. We're going to have sack before. Yeah, I mean, I think, he's starting to show a few positive signs, so you feel that might be enough. But then... Well, I, I, the other thing as well, I feel that any any manager that's happy to spend £100 million on a player like Caicedo would certainly be happy enough to spend £50, £60 million on a manager. Um, for example, the the other one looking closer to the bottom of the table, the one that I just mm, I can see it happening would be Vincent Company for Burnley, and that's just purely based on Burnley are probably going to be looking at this as in they're going to be in a real relegation battle this season. Is Vincent Company the kind of manager that's going to get you out of that? Does he have any experience of facing relegation? Not to my knowledge, and how much they're paying him as well. He's obviously the 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 highest paid manager at the bottom three four clubs there and I think every penny kind of counts to Burnley as well so I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Vincent Company being sacked before long in favour of a manager we probably haven't heard of or we haven't seen for a while and yeah that's kind of where I I, I could see any one of those going. Quiggy are they the same names on your list or is there anyone else who's like in the firing um, line for you? I mean I've said it before and I've said it again that the only way Burnley stirred was by sacking company. And whether 
he's kind of near the top of the sack list is another matter because I feel that he's kind of got that that grace period because he got them promoted as manager, and it's like we'll give him we'll give him a little bit longer, but I don't know. And again, the Bournemouth. The fella at Bournemouth. Um, Iriola. Iriola? Yep, thank you. That's the one. Yeah. I was waiting for you to pronounce it. I, th- I think I think he's in trouble results-wise, but again, they kind of sacked Gary O'Neill to bring him in, so do they want to sack him so early on and sort of admit that it was maybe the wrong choice? So I'm not I'm not too sure, but they're, they're the two that I would pick. Maybe Heckenbottom is Sheffield United because maybe. obviously yeah. they've got... Zero wins. Zero wins, and obviously they got him. They got embarrassed by us, and I think if there's another big defeat like that for him, I think he probably will get the sack. Is there a case that if they were going to sack him, they probably would have sacked him after the eight nil because it was? I mean, he survived that. I mean, what's going to happen? Like, yeah, is it a I mean, case if they I accept mean, has... that a manager? Like, I'm going to point this out. Maybe not Burnley and company because I feel ambition wise and where they saw themselves, but like Luton and. Uh, with Rob Edwards and Sheffield United with Heckenbottom is a case of the manager isn't the problem and we accept that. I think I think sometimes managers at teams that have, have just come up who aren't probably expected to compete are kind of given a little bit of a, a freer ride, if that makes sense. I kind of think of the Norwich manager when they came up the first Art. time, I think it was, yeah. Uh-huh. I thought he you kind of got, He kind of got a free, a free ride a little bit because they weren't expected to compete because they spent no money. But when I think there's so much money involved in, in the Premier League now, some, some owners might actually go, well, actually, we're not expected to stay up, but... I expect us to stay up, and I've spent some money on some players. You know, they've brought in Gustavo Hammer or whatever you call them. Why is the manager I call him not Hammer? Because I think it's funny. Yeah, I was going to call him Hammer. Why? Why is the manager not getting the best out of this player? And, and that might be kind of the reason that the second. But I do think that teams have just come up who aren't really expected do get a little bit of a free ride. But then it kind of gets to the point of how much embarrassment is this going to be if we come back straight back down and then have to offload some of these bigger players that we've signed as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on the sack race? Is that something um, you concur with? You say I don't think I don't think anybody near the in like the top part of the table is in any danger. But I can only see Ken Hogg or Pochettino or someone like that getting their sack if there is like a genuinely catastrophic run of form like they lose seven games in a row and then they're down in 14th or something like that whether that'll be the case in the summer who knows because i've got to with the potential change of ownership for man united and ineos apparently getting like, sporting control that might be something they want to do but i don't think there's any danger of anybody up there getting in the sack i think the only people who i think i would say are in trouble uh pecking bottom at Sheffield United just because I think maybe more for like optics more than anything else they're gonna go we kind of need to make it like we're trying to do something to at least win some games if they do you know continue to not win any even though I don't think it'll make much of a difference I think Iriola at Bournemouth if they don't beat Burnley and Sheffield United if come like the end of November getting into December they are still winless I think he'll go because I think they'll look at it and go we've invested quite a lot of money in this we expected you to be doing better with the players that we bought you. We can't afford to go down. Like, because again, it feels like their model was, okay, well, we buy Alex Scott for, it was 20 million. We're in the Premier League for a couple of seasons. We may be pushing to the top half. A big club comes in and spends 60 million on him. Okay, we sell, we sign Max Aaron, we sign Cliver, we sign Zabani, we sign these people, and then, okay, we can flip them um, for a little bit. I don't think it works for them getting relegated. So I think if they're still struggling you know, in about a month, I think I think it'll be gone. I don't think they'll care about the fact that they sat Gary O'Neill to get him in. I think, okay, you're not doing well enough. We need to stay up. We get someone else in. And then I think the only other one that I'd like, maybe was maybe a bit keen putting him in the sack race, but I feel like since they came up, there's always been like question marks about how long he's going to stay in the job for, be Steve Cooper. Just because I think... Again, they've bought a lot of players in. Again, I know, a lot, I know a lot of them came in on like deadline day. But I feel like, again, if they start to struggle, if it looks like coming up to Christmas that they are, you know, in the bottom three, starting to get, you know, three, four, five points away from teams above them, I think they'll pull the trigger. And, you know, throwing away two points against Luton at home isn't a great look as well, I don't think, being 2-0 up and then ending up with a draw that is a very good point i feel if you get a draw against luton in the way it was in it but it was more but to throw the two goal lead is the thing where you'd yeah. be like i'm just gonna press the little alarm bell yeah for a if little it was like bag. you know a, a close thing like oh luton went in front 
oh, but then we pegged them back and then we went in front. Oh, but then they got a scrappy goal from like a corner or something like that. You'd go, well, these things happen. But to be like 2-0 up and just throw it away in the way that they did. Um, if, I feel like last season he was almost battling for his job like every other week, Steve Cooper, which is why I think like the patience for him with the board is a little bit thin. So yeah, I think they're... Like in football manager when you get your first warning, you know that warning's going to come round again. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we've summed everything up. Does anyone have any other bold predictions they want to put on the record so they can sound smart like Tommy next month before I... Just a sentence. Anyone have any of them? Uh, maybe just one. When we uh, last spoke, West Ham were fourth. They're now ninth. Is this just to you with your David Moyes agenda when you're like, look at him, look at him, he found out. <laughs> it wasn't an agenda. I said that they were going to struggle. They're, I think they've got, what, one point since we last spoke and they, they got smashed 4-1 by Aston Villa today. So enjoy your relegation battle, West Ham. Thank fun. you, West Ham fans, if you've made it all the way. <laughs> I, think, I think they've already got more points than probably two of those bottom three are going to get. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they're, they're, they're where they'll end the season in like eight or nine. West Ham fans, not only not only did one of them, but one of us predict, you know, relegation that the other just predicted like, look, your season, just accept this is as good as it gets. So if you've managed to listen to the whole podcast, West Ham fans, and been like, man, we haven't been mentioned, well worth the rate at the end there. Anyway, we've been the Football Beef Podcast. Everyone say goodbye because they're going to have to be able to hit subscribe, rate five stars, and they want to know your friendly people. Otherwise, they won't come back next month to see what your thoughts and your updates are. So say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Football Beef! This just in from the powers that be. We had the reports of a spiffingly wonderful but slightly weird podcast with news from around the world wide web. This podcast contains amusing quips and delightful anecdotes that may just cheer up your Monday. I believe I'm getting some audio from the podcast itself. I seem to have a history of mini golf because I've had a bird land on my shoulder at another mini golf course. You ever thought about not playing mini golf as much or indoor mini golf safely? I've, pl- I've played indoor mini golf and I got hit in the head with a mini golf ball. <laughs> Like, why would you not know Andre the Giant? Like, of all the wrestlers you can't name. Like, why is that guy called Andre the Giant? <laughs> Funny thing, it'd be that other guy that's huge. When my wife goes out, I like to lick her salt, the <laughs> Himalayan salt lamps. They taste lovely. With that. I'm so scared. <laughs> when my wife goes out, I like to lick Himalayan salt lamps. Would not have been the, the Himalayan complete salt lamps. In the, yeah, yeah. In the blank. Yeah, what, ha- what happened next? I went and got an ice cream from an ice cream shop and the man behind the counter said, oh, look out for the seagulls. And I just laughed because, you know, you just kind of don't really take it all in. Anyway, I was walking along the beach eating my ice cream and out of bloody nowhere, seagull swoops down and takes the head off of my ice cream. I'm left with a tiny bit of cone in my childlike hands. That's all we can afford to reveal from the archives. If you're wanting more of this type of top quality banter in your eardrums, then you can find them by scanning your most popular platforms, such as the spiffing Spotify, the aristocratic Apple Podcast, and grandstanding Google, among many more. How exciting! So, what's the name of this podcast, you ask? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer to that question is the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. What's that? Say it again, you say? It's the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. You can catch their broadcast from the early bird time of Monday at 7am. But not to worry if you aren't such an early bird as you could always visit the archives when new episodes are added weekly for your listening pleasure. If you suffer from selective hearing, I shall repeat again where you can search for these archives. The following are Spiffing Spotify, Aristocratic Apple Podcasts and Grandstanding Google, among others. So if you enjoy a tickety-boo time, then adjust your streaming platforms and tune in.